Hello and welcome to session 12 of the Possibility Podcast. I am your host, Sarah Knight. In this session, I am looking at how one man has responded to our climate crisis by organizing an event in Montreal on the 5th of October called Wild X, an event designed to help people face the challenge that he faced as he recognized the reality of climate change, that of despair, confusion, and overwhelm. His response? Let's talk about it share ideas, and get moving. So listen in as this filmmaker, journalist, and now climate crisis event coordinator shares his insightful ideas on how we really can wake up and take action to try to get back on the path of a green and sustainable future. Today, I have the great pleasure of having a conversation with Albert Nirenberg. Albert is primarily a filmmaker and a journalist. He's also a hypnotherapist, a laughologist, and he was recently honored with the title of a global laughter ambassador. And really why I want to talk to Albert is because he is one of those people that just keeps his eyes and his ears open. And Albert and I have had many conversations around climate change. Um, He shares some of my distress at what is happening in the world and also shares a lot of my position on the the front of hope and possibility too. Um, So thank you so much for joining me today, Albert. Great to be here. So can you tell me a bit about this event that you have coming up in Montreal? When we created Wild X, we just wanted to have an event where the talks were just a little more uh, out there, more a little more daring, a little more wild. And then the other part, where did we get the name Wild X? A big theme in Wild X is climate change and what you should do about it. And it's very clear to me that wilding, rewilding, bringing back life and the habitat is the key goal to people for for us to survive this crisis. And actually, people are not talking about it. People don't know. They don't know. So I'm trying to create awareness by by helping create Wild X. Wonderful. I have a whole bunch more questions based on what you just said. Um, so this Wild X event is really about bringing people into dialogue, it sounds like. So bringing the opportunity for them to listen to talks that might kind of get them engaged, open their minds, help them face this crisis. I wanted to create a conference where the answers are obvious and that it is something that you can do. That, that's what makes this different. I think when you think about going to an intellectual or you know a talk, um, you think of um, carbon capture, you think of um, uh, com- complex science around uh, changing the you know the, the horrors of uh, what we are doing to the earth. And people often say jokingly that I'm a master of the obvious, which is which is generally an insult. Somebody, the master of the obvious is somebody who, who can't follow the, the conversation, but they can say the obvious things like, you know, uh, you are talking right now or something like that. So I really believe just like everything else I've done in my life, that even in climate change, the answers are obvious. They're not that complicated. They're not hiding. They don't require high levels of technology or complexity. So Wild X is really laying out a simple platform for action. Um, 
so among other things, because I think that everything you do in life shouldn't just be about obsessively following one goal. So, so it's not, you know, there's the talks are not all about climate change because maybe that would be boring. So this is not a conference where people are going to go and sit down and be talked at for the day. Well, people will physically be talking, but yes, I think there's going to be a lot of engagement. So to actually, one of the things we're doing in the conference is that it will be an embodied conference because some of the speakers, you know, this is a trend in, in both um, science and in public speaking that uh, sitting there like a, like a log is not good for you. And we know that a lot of movement, laughter, smiling, clapping, cheering, standing up creates engagement, wakes up the body, makes you feel alive and happy. So right through all the speakers have been told, engage your audience with embodiment. And so that's, that's a big theme in terms of a different way of doing the conference is that the whole conference should be well, hasn't happened yet, but should be embodied. Beautiful. I mean, I think that that's at a, like at the heart of this problem anyhow, is that it's so easy to disengage from it because it yeah. seems that we have left it up to the scientists and to the politicians and the answers seem to be, oh, well, it's we need these advanced technological solutions and these complicated political, economic, social kind of frameworks in order for this. And so straight away, well, how can I participate here? There's nothing I can do. So I love how that is just running as a theme through this this is about no this is about participating staying awake and staying engaged so that feels that feels really refreshing so I'd like to ask you now how you I mean you have had uh, a lot of interests in your history Um, and certainly I don't know that you would have until recently thought of yourself as a an environmentalist or a, a climate change advocate, you know? So I don't even know that you necessarily, those words resonate with you now, but you are taking a step, uh, a much needed step to actively support people and engaging on the topic of climate change. How did you find yourself organizing this this event? Very good question. So so it's, it's actually an interesting story. Um, I was commissioned by uh, the CBC Documentary Channel to make a documentary, a kind of comic documentary about flatulence, farting. And um, so, it was, and I should explain, I've, I've made films about laughter. Uh, I've researched uh, humor hev- heavily. And originally, I saw this project as a kind of um, uh, fart jokes are one of the universal uh, comic uh, phenomena around the world and um and there's a, even a, a a serious theory that all humor may have started with fart jokes so you're going to think well what does this have to do with climate change well i became kind of a uh, you know when we were working on the film i started to feel that this film was i wanted to make something more relevant and i felt that that it spoke deeply to sort of a sort of more a, another theme, which is that we as humans, what climate change sort of says is that we're insensitive to our own emissions on a personal level, but on a broader level. We, we just don't. And I actually think that's to do with the way we're designed. You know, literally, we face forward with our faces and our butts face backwards 
And we're sort of designed not to worry too much about what comes out our butts, but to be more concerned with what come, comes out our faces. And, and I actually think that's in our you know biological design. So to make a long story short, we started on a film which ostensibly was about the, the origins of humor. And it led us somewhat accidentally into looking deep into climate change and climate change science as the ultimate manifestation of grotesque farting, a society that's farting itself out of existence, literally. And so that suddenly I was plunged by default into this research around climate change. And when that happened, my eyes opened. I suddenly understood kind of where we were. And like a lot of people who look, you know, a little bit deeper into this, I realized that the, that the clock ticking down is real, that we are, we are facing our own extinction. It is a, it may be debatable about exactly when that will occur or could occur. Um, but it's not that far away. And that, that suddenly changed everything for me that I realized that I had to become a, a climate change advocate. And I argue that everyone does. Now, this is not by moral suasion or, or, or uh, you know, that, you know, you should be a good person and, and, and make the world a greener place. I think that there, if you know about climate change, you are compelled to action. You simply have no choice. And look, if it's okay with you, I'd like to lay this out. Yeah, please. Absolutely. I don't think other people talk about this, but let me explain. So if you know about climate change, mean, meaning you have a general idea that it is severe, you have a general idea that it is going towards the wider extinction of all life on the planet or of most life on the planet, and that that is not far away, we're talking decades, then you have a moral obligation to act. Now, let me explain why. Not just because you might have children, might that you might have a family that has children as well, that you have to be concerned for their future, or that you like, uh, the other thing is that you might like the animal world. You might like jaguars and, uh, and horses and, and, and beetles, and you might think they have a right to live too. I think that, there is no way out because the common thinking, so the way people try to get out of this is they go, human beings are terrible. This is a, we call them doom riders. The doom riders say, we're a terrible species. We deserve to die. Even that does not get you out of the obligation, sorry, the obligation to act. Because even if we are a terrible species and we deserve to die, then we have no right to take the whole planet down with us. None. So you should, you should do your best to sort of make a clear and graceful exit, um, at the least. And second, if you have children, you have an obligation. You can't just be saying, oh, I'll make sure you get into the right university, or I will make sure that you have mutual funds so that you have um, you know, reasonable amounts of money later in your life. That's all nonsense if you don't leave that child a habitat to live in and you don't live that child at a place to live. We are at risk, and this is very clear to me. We are at clear risk 
of being the worst generation that ever lived. And by that, I include the baby boomers, Generation X, and the millennials. Why? Because you knew. 20 years from now, 30 years from now, if that will happen, people will look back and say, there was a time when there was a chance to do something where the evidence must have been clear and obvious. The fires were burning. Brazil was burning. You know, the, the West was burning. Um, there was plenty of warning. There were hurricanes. There were floods. You were warned. You knew. And what did you do? And the answer was you drove around in your big SUV. You had your barbecues. You flew around in your planes. You did absolutely nothing. In fact, you did things that made it worse. So we are at clear risk. So, so here's the thing. Let's add it all up. Even if you're okay with you dying in a fire somewhere and that's fine with you, even if you're a doom rider and you think human beings have no right to survive because we're jerks, and even if you have no kids but you don't really care that much about the future because you're, you know, that's just not where you're at, and even if you are too stressed by your job, your obligations, your financial responsibilities, which I will never deny are real, that is no excuse to allow yourself to become the worst generation that ever lived, the worst group of people that ever lived. So we are compelled to action. And the only excuse you could have now is I don't know what to do. So I'm going to tell you what you can do, just for the sake of this argument. Wonderful. Can you, before you do that, I just want you to pause for a second. I think what the, the and this is not for your benefit, <laughs> this is for <laughs> my benefit that we pause. And for anybody that's listening, I mean, something that you have always, since I have known you, managed to do really, really beautifully is take really, really big things, um, explain them really, really clearly, and not just from an intellectual perspective either. There's an awful lot of emotion in what you say. And this for someone of this generation who uh, 30 years ago became very tuned in to the problem of our relationship to the environment and our um, complete lack of responsibility for our waste. Um, going, I mean, right back to the subject of your film and how you got in here, how we just think once it's behind us, it's behind us and it has nothing to do with us anymore. And somehow the earth or someone else will magically take care of the, the shit that we leave behind. And 30 years ago, I saw this. 30 years ago, I was learning about this um, crisis that we were headed towards and became pretty engaged back then. And this for me now, 30 years later, I feel like I'm all of a sudden have landed in a horror movie. I can't believe that that somehow 30 years ago when we knew, 40 years ago when we knew this was happening, that now we're here. And as you said, the important point thing is, okay, so like that saying goes, when's the best time to plant a tree? Well, 20 years ago, but the second best time is now. So we're here now. Yeah, we should have acted 30 years ago. We didn't, but we're here right now and we still have an opportunity to act. And it's not just an opportunity, it's our responsibility. And I think you have conveyed that really, really clearly. We are now, we know the trajectory that we're on. The science is telling us where we are headed and it is, it is catastrophically bad. 
Um, so thank you for breaking that down the way that you did. Yeah. I'm just trying to coin, you know, say the term, it's an inescapable responsibility. And, I'm, and even if you're an irresponsible person, it's an inescapable responsibility. And that, and that's not, I don't, I guess it is moral at some point, but it is, like I said, who wants to be either who wants to die or who wants to be the worst generation that ever lived. Neither of those choices are things that most people will agree with. So then you have an obligation to wake up. And maybe even more of an obligation to wake up if there is, if something in what you have just said has touched some part of you, however small that part is, however small that part is, because the reality is there will be some portion of the population that manages to somehow justify not engaging in this, making it all the more um, important that, that those of us that do hear the wake-up call just respond now and, and try to get as many people as we can on that bandwagon. So let's ask the question, why? In fact, that, that's a very important question. Why don't people uh, engage and why don't people uh, do anything? And, and I actually should mention that you, that's one of the things, I, I'm not going to talk too much about it in case you, you want to say something, but that you, Sarah Knight, are going to be speaking at Wild X specifically because you do workshops and you've ta- you have um, I've talked to people exactly about this question. Why don't people respond? And you have a good explanation which is that people are kind of uh, overwhelmed and frozen. And I think that is part of the explanation. But I think I'm kind of think it's at the point where, too, we can say to people, stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. It doesn't work anymore. And that what's more important is, so I'm just going to say one other thing. The one other excuse beyond what you're ta- what you are often talking about, which is o- overwhelm, is lack of a plan of action. So let's get that out of the way right now. So in this, what's weird about this conference is that we have advertised some of the things that we're going to talk about specifically, um, you know, with, so there's like, what's weird is that we're actually saying what it is in advance. And the reason I'm doing that is because it's so important. One of the things that I learned on this film is that there is no carbon capture technology out there right now that um, can efficiently draw CO2 out of the air effectively on a mass scale that we can implement instantly. But there's been one all along, a natural one that we all knew about, and I have a, you know, which is trees. And so one of the was two things that we are doubling down on in this conference, Wild X. One of them is mass reforestation. Um, and you can just think about it. Just, I would just like you to, if you're listening to this, just to imagine this planet with twice as much, three times as much trees, three times as much habitat. This planet is heading for a major burn. The real terrifying outcome of what could happen is this planet will heat up, it'll dry out, and it will burn. So what do you do when that's happening? You plant trees. You plant trees like crazy. You start now. You start 20 years ago. And you do it on a massive scale. And one of the reasons why we're having Wild X in Montreal, this is funny, which occurred to me, and this sounds strange. And People who know their history will understand this, but 
Quebec did something very interesting, you know, 50 years ago or longer, 60 years ago, which they conceived of this massive project called Hydro-Quebec. And Hydro-Quebec is an outstanding example of, you know, an almost, you know, all good hydroelectric project. It has terrible side effects. There were, there were environmental disasters. They destroyed lakes and reservoirs. They destroyed huge, pristine environments. Yes, that's all true. But Hydro-Quebec powers a huge part of the North American continent, and it does it relatively uh, in a clean way. Now, the reason I mention this is very quickly, 60 years ago or so, the Canadian establishment, huge banks, um, dreamers, engineers, architects got together, politicians too, and they looked at this crisis. They looked at the fact that we desperately need electricity, and they cooked up this massive scheme. They pumped gargantuan amounts of money into it. They moved mountains, literally, and they made it happen. None of this is happening around climate change. So when people say, what should we do? Well, do what you always did. Do what you did before, which was get lots of money together and lots of people together and move mountains. And in this case, don't just move mountains, but plant trees, plant the right trees, reforest. And I'll just tell you a little bit more about the math. You know, I talked to Tom Chi, I interviewed Tom Chi, who's the, the, the man who led the team that, divine, that div, sorry, designed the Google self-driving car. And he said the amount of trees it takes to take the current amount of carbon that we put in the air is equal to about half the size of Brazil. Now, that's a big amount of land. But actually, when you live in a country like Canada or the U.S., you could fit maybe 20 half Brazils inside of Canada. Canada alone has enough land to compensate for the amount of CO2 we put in the air, if we have time. So these things are actually very doable. They're extremely doable. And what Wild X is about is laying out the really clear plan for how to bring back life, bring back habitat, bring back trees, bring back forests, bring back animals in any way we can at this point. I know a lot of people will be like, well, what if you plant the wrong trees? There will be problems, but the other is cut and dry. It's a choice between two things, green and the fire. That's the choice. There's your choice. Do you want to go with green or would you like to step into the fire? Because right now we are headed for the fire. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, that's so, so clearly um, seen right now by what's happening in the Amazon. You know, at, at least, and who knows how much of a part um, the the cattle farmers have to play in their kind of slash and burn and clearing the land so that we get to continue to consume way too much animal protein um, in the form of beef. I mean, of all of the uh, animals that we consume, beef is by far the most carbon intensive. Um, and But that seems to continue to be the choice that... that that, that people make 
to to choose lifestyle over over green, at least in the parts of the world where we can remain distant from those from those problems. And so I absolutely agree with you. Like this is, you know, you have 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 been gotten me thinking about this tree solution a long time ago. I've been um, pondering it and thinking about it and researching it and we'd have to plant a lot of trees yeah but there's an awful lot of space um, that could be reforested that could be offered back to to trees again but it, it's kind of the circular issue then isn't it so then we're back to okay so um, if imagine if not only do we plant trees but we also cut down on our our, our meat consumption consumption and we start to change our, our lifestyle habits how much more of an impact could we have and you're back to getting people to engage again you know and getting people to sew if this part of your plan is not only laying it out so that people understand it intellectually but making it really 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 easy for people how can we here let's say i just live you know i live in the suburbs maybe i've got a quarter of an acre of of property what can i do for this for this tree planting cause from here i just want to say one thing before i answer directly answer your question which is that you know what i found funny personally you know for me is kind of weird to hear myself saying what I'm saying is that I'm not the kind of person who believes in compelling people to do things. I'm not the kind of person who believes in absolutes. I don't believe in punishment. I don't believe in putting people in jail. I don't believe in these kind of absolutist styles of thinking where because this, therefore that. But that's what is so crazy about our times is that I actually think that's where we are. And, and I, it's so funny to hear myself saying, and I want to add this up, because what I've said is we are at risk of being the worst generation that ever lived. We're at risk of being utter failures as human beings. We're at risk of betraying our own children. We're at risk of betraying, betraying our own countries and civilization. So... Um, and we and can, and now what I with what I've told you I believe we can no longer pretend that we don't know and that there wasn't things that we could do. So therefore, we are one hundred percent compelled to action. Now, to answer your question, what can we as individuals do? Well, first, go to WildX in Montreal, October fifth. Two. The next thing is support a massive reforestation effort in your country, in Canada or other countries. Support that, put pressure on politicians, create a massive national reforestation plan, get the best minds of our generations together on that project. Two, in your own town, with your own, if you have land, plant more trees. Plant trees that grow quickly, plant trees that make sense for your environment. If you have a lawn, one of the things that is happening is that insects are dangerously declining. If you have a lawn, plant flowers, wildflowers, plant things that pollinators like. Um, one of the things that is happening at Wild X is that everybody who shows up at Wild X gets a bag of wildflowers seeds because you can plant them in the fall in October, like shortly after Wild X, and they will come up in the spring. Um, and they will support the pollinators. These are all like 
very easy. And here's the other thing. Here's the really weird thing about some of the things that we're presenting. You know, when you when you plant trees, yes, it maybe takes a bit of work. You gotta dig a hole and you gotta maybe you gotta worry about the conditions by which the tree grows. And maybe you gotta water the tree a little bit at the beginning, right? But a lot of this, you don't have to do anything. One of the things I learned when I made this film is that some of the best things you can do for climate change is to stop doing stuff. Stop working, stop stressing, stop being so, you know, hyper. Just let it go. Let let your garden go. Let your grass grow. Let your trees grow. Let your weeds grow. That's part of rewilding things. That's part of letting nature back. You know, stop using herbicides. Stop using pesticides. Don't save money on herbicides. Save money on pesticides. Find a way to live with your insects. Um, so it's it's not it's a lot of this is not so hard. And this is the other weird part about it is, I just want to add it up because for me it's clear in my head. One, you know, we don't want to be the worst generation that ever lived. Two, there is no excuse for not taking action when you know it's possible. Three, you if you know how severe things are, you've got to do something. Four, what you've got to do is not even that hard. It's not even that hard. It doesn't require a Herculean effort that you have to work night and day saving the planet. You just got to stop slathering your lawn with herbicides. You got to let the flowers grow, which will make your lawn look beautiful. You got to plant trees so that your you know, place doesn't get washed out when it gets flooded in the spring. You know, there, it's all stuff that is easy and, you know, not so hard. So what's weird is it all adds up to like, uh, you can do this. It's not that hard. I love what you said there. You know, it's because sometimes the idea of starting something feels like, oh my gosh, like how can I fit one more thing on my plate? How can I think about something new to start? But what you're saying is, well, yeah, starting something is, is, is one thing that we have to do, but there's a whole slew of things that we could just stop. Like just the simple act of getting conscious about, about what we're doing to our environment for, for reasons that are, you know, 20 years ago, I think this is a big success, actually. Um, 20 years ago, it was socially unacceptable to allow dandelions to grow on your front lawn. <laughs> that has changed. That has absolutely changed. It is now it is now actually kind of leaning the other way. It's becoming less and less acceptable, socially acceptable to kill the dandelions on your lawn. You know, dig them up if you're that repulsed by them. <laughs> and so I think that this says a lot for for how we can change the tide here and and a lot of this, a lot of people just jumping in where they can is changing that point too at which some Something which was at one point, it's socially acceptable to not engage in this problem. It is still an acceptable thing. Oh, that's, I can't do that. I'm too busy. I got too much. That's not for me. That's, oh, well, sure, we can do stuff. But then if China doesn't do anything, like it's not going to make any difference what we do. There's all kinds of reasons that makes it socially acceptable to not engage. And the more people that take this on and that do it, it will go the other way. And at some point, those people will have to come in or risk being the worst of the worst generation, which, as you said, nobody wants to be. So I really like your point about all the things that we can just stop doing. I think that, you know, one thing that I learned recently, which to what you're saying that blew my mind was I was at a yoga retreat where they had a schedule of, you know, activities. And one of the things that they 
put on as the retreat, one of the activities was that at a, in one of the mornings, they did something called a seva. A seva is a term which means that the group gets together to sort of give their time and energy to the place that you're in so that you leave it better than when you came. And so the idea was like it would be a bunch of chores. We were going to ask the, the, the people that particularly ran this, the physical building where the retreat was in what they needed, how we could help out, how we could um, you know help in the gardens and, and, and things like that. So we just left better. And I remember my hand, I had a bad attitude towards. I was like, geez, I'm tired. I don't want to like – walk around sweeping and cleaning stuff up and you know i just didn't feel it i just felt like it felt onerous and i noticed something very interesting though when we got to doing it and when i saw everybody put it pitched together and we were doing things like we were moving dead branches we were cleaning up the lawn we were cutting down in this case weeds we were sweeping floors um there's two things i noticed one we got a lot done. There was like maybe about 20 people and suddenly it felt like, whoa, 20 people together can do a lot very quickly in an hour. It was amazing. And people were just like strong. They just got stuff done. And, 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 and then the other thing that I noticed was that it was beautiful. It was fun. Like as we went through the chores – you walked with people, you talked with them about who they were, they told you their stories, they joked and laughed with you. And it was like a it was a better way of actually conversing to be walking with somebody carrying wood with them than than just to be, you know, casually walking next to them, weirdly enough. So suddenly I was completely converted converted by the process. I saw that it was good. Now, why does this matter? Because I saw the exact same metaphor for what hum humans are doing with the world now. A lot of us feel like it's on the schedule that we're supposed to all get together and do something about climate change. But we haven't. We haven't. You know, individuals are out there doing things. You know, groups are out there doing things. But there's never been a point where even like, I don't know, 5% of the world got together and said, hey, why don't we, you know, plant trees today? What can you imagine? If all the people that cared planted trees like in one day where, you know, intelligently, responsibly, you know, um, ethically and, and, and just did it and and that you'd have this feeling of of mountains being moved. Um, and like what I'm saying, the key thing here isn't that nobody has dreamed up these actions. These actions are often proposed, but more significantly that we haven't actually got there. So now this is important because we feel a lot of despair around climate change. We feel like nothing we do will ever work or help. But I'm like, no, you're the kid who's never tried like to pull up your pants and like do the job. And then you find out, oh, it's not so hard. And with people helping, it gets done quickly. So I guess my point is that that so the reason we're demoralized about climate change is because we're sitting on our asses. That's why we're demoralized. Not necessarily because it's so hard. Because some of the things are not so hard. It's because we're sitting on our asses whining 
bitching and complaining. Yes, yes. And so for those of you who are listening who don't know, Albert's most recent film, You Are What You Act, is all about the power of literally getting off your ass. <laughs> so can we now, so Wild X is an opportunity for people to get up off their butts get engaged, have conversations, you know, figure out what actions feel right, figure out how they can get inspired to take some actions. So what can people expect at WildX? Can you tell me about some of the talks, some of the subjects a bit more? You've touched on reforestation and rewilding, um, but I know that there's a, a lot more going on there. Yeah, so so um, I should say this, there, one of the themes in, the, the, um, in WildX is actually sexuality, uh, it just sort of like seemed to be something that needed to, to needed to be said. So the reason why we, we made it more of a priority theme is that there's a malaise officially around sexuality right now. There's been a lot of um, media coverage about this theory, true or not true, about that millennials are no longer having sex, that sex sex is in dramatic decline. There's a, there's a sex crisis. Um, so we have... Um, uh, uh, speakers uh, that are going to be talking about that. There's a new theory, uh, which, uh, strangely enough, I'm part of, uh, a part of about that explains the way sexuality works around the self-programming method of, of desire. Um, so that's that's one of one of the um, uh, big themes. You know, as you are, this is something that I have long recognized, um, both in my work when I was working in in the area of environmental kind of outreach and communications, and and now that I'm doing the healing work, it's why I do what I do because I think we ha are fundamentally a, a society now, because it's not just our generation that is um, really really disconnected, disconnected from ourselves, our own feelings, disconnected from each other, disconnected from the earth. Earth. And climate change is, I see it as one symptom of that, of that, of that state that we're in. Loneliness and depression is another. Our, our lack of sexuality and of interacting with each other on that plane of intimacy. You know, the absence of intimacy in, in, in so many people's lives. Another symptom of this of this of this epidemic of of disconnection that that we're in right now um so everything it seems to me that's offered at wild x is all about being alive let's be alive again live in our bodies heal in our bodies live with each other live with the earth let's get excited about being alive again and wake yeah. up to everything that we have around us yes yes we're you know we're this is arguably the most exciting time to be alive because there's like, we've been faced, you know, it's like we're in a movie. This is the weird thing. We're in a movie where it's one of those classic American B movies where it's like, is humanity going to survive? Will we rise to the occasion? And actually, this could be very exciting. It's exciting once you engage. Once you, once you find your footing, it's wonderful and exciting. You're living. And yeah, you're absolutely right. And disconnection is the problem and connection is the answer. Albert, thank you so much for your time and thank you as always for doing what you do in the world and for for working to bring people together. Um, so for anyone that wants to go straight from this interview and look up more, it's wildxevent.com. Is that right? Is that the yeah, website? Yeah, wildxevent.com. Well, you probably find Wild X Montreal. The Facebook is just simply Wild X, I believe. 
um, yeah, and I should mention like practical things like the people, you know, worry about these things being expensive. We made the tickets cheap. It's $40 and $20, $50 at the door. So it's a very um, accessible, affordable event. Um, it's going to be at D.B. Clark Theatre, which is central Montreal, right downtown, easy to get to. Um, and uh, you mostly just and there's going to be a party later that night with Darren Austin Hall, a sound bath. So it's like a full experience event. Wonderful. Albert, thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. And thank you for listening. I took many things from this conversation with Albert. And one of them is that, yes, it might be easier to decide that our fate has already been determined, to throw our hands in the air and carry on as we are, which means not changing anything, living for today and consigning ourselves to a future which may include increasing amounts of destruction of the earth, maybe even of ourselves. But I can guarantee you that if there comes a day where we sit amongst the ruins of what was once a beautiful world, full of green, full of life, we will wish that we had of at least tried. I hope to see you at Wild Axe.